Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Sipoy Krishan Singh, Regiment 30th Punjabis, Subhana Mithapur Village of Chalanthar. Killed in action in Tanzania. Sipoy Thakur Singh, Regiment 22nd Punjabis. Killed in action in Mesopotamia. These are the names of just some of the soldiers from the Punjab who fought during the First World War, whose records were recently unearthed. Sipoy Ganga Singh, Regiment 47th Six, Athola village, Jalanthar. Died of sickness in Basra. Sipoy Mahinder Singh, 23rd Sikh Pioneers, Ghalib Kalam Village, Ludhiana. This is the History Hit Warfare podcast and I'm your host, James Rogers. It's really a history-defining find that's been reported all around the world. There were 320,000 records in total and they've now begun to be digitalised by UK-based historians. It's my great pleasure to welcome one of the lead historians of this project, Gavin Rand from the University of Greenwich, and amazingly, we have one of the descendants from these soldiers. Dr. Irfan Malik, he has found two great-grandfathers in this cachet of records, and he tells us not only where they served and what they did, but also what this means to him and his family in terms of finding that missing jigsaw piece of their family history. Enjoy. Hi, Gavin. Welcome to the History Hit Warfare podcast. How are you doing today? Delighted to be here, James. Thanks for inviting us. Not a problem at all. From the very moment that me and the team saw your research and your team's research, we had to get you on the podcast. This is some real cutting-edge, groundbreaking stuff because the records of 320,000 Punjab soldiers from the First World War have been discovered, uncovered, and digitised. I can imagine that that is no easy task, and we can talk about that a little bit later. Could you tell us, though, these have been uncovered, they've been found. Where have they been found? This is... 97-year-old material, right? That's the last time it was surfaced. That's partly right. The records have been in the Lahore Museum, in fact, for a long time, for many decades, and they have been known, known of, by military historians in South Asia for at least a decade, to my knowledge. 
But what's happened this year is that we have successfully digitised and transcribed the 320,000 records and we are now making them available to the public for the first time. So the records have existed since the early 1920s, but this is the first time that they're going to be widely available to the public and for academic research as well. Because those who have British relatives who served in the First World War, I, I mean, I know this because I've gone back through to look at my great granddad's records and his brother and on both sides of the family, and I've gone deep into those records, and they're, they're pretty detailed, to be fair. And they've been available for quite a while. But is this the first time that we've had soldiers from the Punjab that have been made available for their families to go and track through and see where their ancestors served? It absolutely is the first time that we've been able to make records like this available to large numbers of people. There have been a number of South Asian, Indian, Pakistani soldiers who are familiar and well-known, but this is the first time that we've opened up access to many thousands of people. And you're absolutely right, James, in comparison with what's available to families in the UK, well, there really is no comparison. I was able to do a bit of family history some years ago, very quickly able to identify and find my grandfather from his First World War records, able eventually to get right down to the war diary page in which his wounding at Third Eep is recorded. Nothing of that sort has been possible for the descendants of Punjabi soldiers. And for the first time, we're going to make it a possibility for many millions of people, probably. But this isn't just a, a family history project. I say just in the most respectful terms. It's so incredibly important to understand that heritage and link. But this is also a kind of groundbreaking academic project as well, because we get to learn a lot about the recruitment, the enlisting, the service of the Indian Army during this period. What for you are some of the key findings that you've taken from reading transcribing, uploading this vast amount of, I suppose, what we can call historical data. Yeah, you're right. There is a, a really important academic strand to this project. And in fact, that's a strand that's going to become more important as we have the data in forms that we can work it. The project thus far has been largely focused on the nuts and bolts, if you like, on assembling, organising, cleansing, and now making public all of the data. The academic strand to the project is really only just in the process of getting underway. So that's one of the things we're really looking forward to now is the chance to work with this data to see what it tells us about the recruitment and enlisting strategies of men from Punjab. And Punjab as a region was split between India and Pakistan in 1947. So is this important in a kind of cultural heritage point of view as well? Because that's a split heritage, isn't it? But this is a time period when that region was whole and one as a people. So is this a part of a kind of cultural legacy here? Yes, it is, absolutely. And there are some really important issues here. In lots of ways, I would argue, and others have argued already, that the history of colonial soldiers is often overlooked, it's marginalised. It has been for a long time marginalised in British history and popular memory, where the war has traditionally been seen through European muddy trench-based perspectives. But colonial soldiers were also 
overlooked or at least marginalized in national histories in South Asia, in India and in Pakistan, where for obvious reasons, those who allied with the colonizing power, the British, kind of fit uneasily within national histories and popular public memories. So for those reasons, as well as for the fact that since the First World War, Punjab has been partitioned and its histories divided. You're absolutely right that the stories of these men have been kind of pushed to the side or forgotten. And one of the things that I hope the project does is to help people understand that history in its shared and common forms. It's not history that makes sense or can be understood as a British history alone or as an Indian or Pakistani history alone. It's a, a history that really reaches across borders and can only be told in ways which connect people in the UK and in South Asia. It's so interesting you say that because as you were speaking, I was thinking about those comments made about Sam Mendes, the uh, director of 1917. I think it's people like Lawrence Fox who had to apologise after they criticised the historical accuracy of the Sikh characters included correctly in the film on the Western Front in that film 1917. So this kind of further brings to light that important role that soldiers from the Punjab had played. Was the Punjab not one of the main recruiting areas for the Indian Army during the First World War? Yeah, it was. I might come back to Lawrence Fox in a little while, but Punjab was the principal recruiting ground of the Indian Army, so the British Indian Army, from the middle of the 19th century, right through in many ways until 1947 and partition. And the Indian Army and military service is really fundamental to understanding not just the history of the province and of Punjab, but also of understanding you know, lots of the big seismic historical changes that happen in South Asia across the 20th century. So, I mean, in the First World War, Punjab sent something like half a million men as soldiers and as followers, so-called. About a third of the Indian Army's overall manpower in the First World War comes from Punjab. So that means in total about one in six British, quote-unquote, forces in the First World War come from undivided India. So it's a huge contribution in terms of manpower, logistics, money, and it's central to the British war effort and to the success of that war effort. It's impossible to think about the First World War without thinking about its imperial dimensions. You know, we do see it, I think, still in a fairly European Eurocentric perspective. And I think it's really important that people understand that this was a much bigger war, both geographically, but also in terms of the inputs to it, manpower, money, logistics, as I say. Lawrence Fox was rightly and quite quickly called out for his comments. And I think it's kind of interesting that denying those elements of the war is now a kind of, it's a niche pursuit, right? It's racist comics. They're the only people making the argument that there weren't Indians in the First World War or at Pakistanis at Dunkirk. And there were, you know, and I think people know that now and are recognising that more. What we haven't been able to do until now is really to understand the individual stories of the men who were involved. So we knew that there were Indians in the First World War in the trenches in Mesopotamia. We knew that there were Pakistanis at Dunkirk, but we haven't been able very often to understand the personal stories of the men who served. And I hope that our project is helping people to do that, to connect with that 
family and personal history, but also in time, it will help academics to much better understand some of the kind of social histories which help to make sense of what happened in those conflicts. So let's draw out some of those personal stories. I know you're a historian of empire, and so it's really interesting to get in there and really important to find out what role these soldiers played during the war. And I'd also be keen to know what you mean by followers. Is this kind of a logistical support element, a medical support element as well? Are these the sort of roles we're talking about? Yeah, exactly. So the Indian army, as all armies did and do, marched on its stomach. It required huge backroom support, logistical support, and followers was the term used to describe those who provided cooking, cleaning, logistics, medical support, etc. Medical support less so because that was obviously a highly skilled part of the enterprise, but it, it was cooks, cleaners, support, carriers, etc. Okay, and in what theatres did they serve? Are we talking every aspect across the range of the First World War? Yeah, so Indian Army troops go first to the Western Front in 1914. They play an important role in supporting and stabilising the line in the early stages of the war, suffer very heavily over the winter of 14 into 15. Thereafter, they go to Mesopotamia, which is the principal theatre in which Indian Army troops serve, and they're there more or less for the duration of the war. It's a really interesting imperial dynamic in Mesopotamia, where the Indian Army, a colonial army of colonised peoples, is fighting also colonised peoples, Ottoman troops. I think some really interesting history. Santanu Das has done a brilliant book on the Indian Army in the First World War, which draws out some of those dynamics uh, really very effectively. And I would commend that book to all of your listeners. And the Indian Army are also in East Africa. They end up in Palestine a bit later on. So yeah, for them, it is a pretty global conflict. Now, what are we talking about in terms of recruitment? Because whenever I discuss or post about an episode about the Indian Army during the First World War or indeed the Second World War, a lot of the comments I get are about forced recruitment, about some people talking about what is tantamount to enslavement. What are we talking about here in terms of recruitment from the Punjab of soldiers? Is there a high volunteer rate? Uh, yeah, this is a really important question. It's an important question not just for the First World War, but for how we think about colonial soldiers, that is men, almost exclusively, from colonised populations who serve in the armies of the colonial power. And whether we can ever think of these men as being entirely free, in the same way that we might think of somebody living in a, in a free democratic society, is an interesting question. In terms of the First World War, the army which goes off to fight in France in 1914 from India is an entirely professional army. Okay? So it's the pre-war army built on the traditions of military service and the rewards that went with military service, which had developed in Punjab from the middle of the 19th century following the mutiny or rebellion of 1857. So that's a professional, well-trained, experienced army full of men who would make a career as soldiers. Okay, So they did that for pay, for pensions, for the social and cultural prestige, which went with military service. We're talking here about men from so-called martial 
communities or martial races, as they were called at the time, Sikhs and Muslims from Punjab, Gurkhas from Nepal, Pashtuns from what was then the Northwest Frontier Province. And these were men who were calculated, knowing who joined for their own reasons, with their own agendas to pursue their own ends. Of course, they did that in the service of a colonial power and they were willing and frequently did turn their guns on their countrymen and co-religionists. But I think we have to recognise that they joined for their own reasons and with their own ends in mind. Now, in the First World War, the demands on Indian manpower are such that by 1916, particularly into 1917, the traditional sources of labour have been more or less completely tapped and new communities are offered the opportunity to enlist and in some cases they're pressed to enlist. So there's a kind of shift over time. Nevertheless, it is the case that in some parts of Punjab and indeed across the province as a whole, the very significant volunteer enlistment so in the district of Ralpindi, in what's now Pakistan, the volunteer rate for eligible men of military age is somewhere over 40%. Okay, Now, off the top of my head, the volunteer rate in England and Wales in the First World War, I think, is 24%. Oh, okay? wow. That's so, incredible. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to think about a greater volunteer rate in a district in Punjab than in England and Wales. And other places in Ludhiana, I think the volunteer rate is something like 26%, again, a little bit higher than in England and Wales. Overall, I think in England and Wales, after conscription, you get up to something in the mid 40%, 44%, 45% of eligible men serve. So, you know, Ralpindi's not far off that as a volunteer rate, which helps, I think, to illustrate how important military service was in parts of Punjab. And I think, again, it helps us to see, you know, the calculations, the interest, the judgments of those men who knowingly took service. It's just worth adding on here that Ralpindi, by many measures, was one of Punjab's poorer districts. So there's a relationship, obviously, between the material conditions in which men lived and the choices that they made about how to spend their lives. And we know that lots of those who went to serve in the First World War did so because of the opportunity that the war provided. Again, Santana Das's fantastic book has got some really excellent vernacular recruiting materials which show uniforms, meals and boots as the kind of key recruiting messages that are being pushed out in the early phases of the war. So this is directly tapping into the fact that there can be economic gain made, but also your standard of living can potentially increase if you come and you join and you sign up to the military? Because that's the question I was going to ask you, because it's quite impressive figures, 40% volunteer rate. But this isn't so much about a passion for empire, let's say. This is about the hard graft that comes with signing up, getting that money and earning a living, and then hopefully making it through the war so you can go back with some money. And that actually leads me on to another question. These files have been sat in a an archive in Lahore. Have the people who served during the First World War, did the people who served during the First World War, I should say, did they secure their pensions? Were they paid properly? Were they treated properly after the war had finished? Well, people were rewarded. So there were 
hundreds of thousands of acres of irrigated land was given out as reward. Punjab's geography speaks to its military history. The army and military service was absolutely central to the spread of the so-called canal colonies in Punjab. And from the 19th century, in fact, military communities were rewarded with grants in these irrigated canal colonies. And so military service became a route not just to short-term material gain, but to all the long-term advantages that could come with possessing holding land. So there were remittances of land revenues and so on, which were granted for several generations in some cases to reward men from particular communities. And some of that happens after the First World War. As ever, there's a sense that the promises made to attract recruits were not always delivered in the aftermath of service. And if you think about what happens in Punjab in the interwar period, so the Jallianwala Bag massacre in 1919, tumultuous politics, growth of what becomes a kind of nationalist critique of colonial rule, all of that is informed by the circumstances created by the First World War, by the service and by the dissatisfaction which many men who served felt. And one of the interesting things that our brilliant team of volunteer researchers have found already using the registers is that some of those named in the registers, so men who go off and fight in the First World War, go on to have quite prominent roles in some of the anti-British, anti-colonial movements which grow up in Punjab and in fact across the world in the interwar period. So it's a kind of useful way of illustrating how slippery the distinctions between kind of loyalty and dissent are for many of these men. Yes, they take British service, they sign up and they fight in the First World War, but that doesn't mean that they are, you know, fully committed by any means to imperial rule. We can see that lots of them, in fact, come back and reposition themselves quite radically. There's such rich and impressive data here and so many findings that you've drawn out already. And I can only imagine how much more is going to come as you get to analyse these documents, as they get democratised and spread out to researchers around the world who get to use this fascinating resource. Be honest with us. How hard has it been to digitise all of this? I know you and the team at Greenwich have done an amazing job. How much work has this been? Yeah, it has been a huge amount of work. I have to say that the vast majority of the hard work of the really dirty hands-on labour has been done by a team of fantastic volunteers, most of whom have come from the UK Punjab Heritage Association. And ACFA and its founder, Amandeep Madra, have been really central to this whole project. It was Amandeep who initially secured access to the records at Lahore and it was in collaboration with Amandeep and with Akfa that we were able to get enough money to do the transcribing of these registers. But even once they had been transcribed, there was still a huge volume of work to do to tidy them and to cleanse them and to make them consistent and to prepare them for sharing. And all of that work has been done by volunteers at the UK Punjab Heritage Association. Hats off to those volunteers and thank you to them and to you so much for bringing this history to us. Have you had many descendants, family members, be able to go through and to find the story of what happened to 
their great grandparents or I suppose now their great great grandparents? Yes, great grandparents and great great grandparents. James, it makes me feel fairly aged having had a grandfather fight in the First World War. But yes, we have had lots of people get in touch. Thus far, we've made 44,000 records available on the website www.punjabww1.com. And we've had lots of people get in touch on Twitter via email to say, thank you, I found my great-grandfather. I knew there was a family story, but now I can see his name, it's there. And that's just been so gratifying to see and to get that huge response. When we launched the registers last week, we thought that during the launch event, we would invite people to share names of ancestors or of their ancestral village. And we would try to query the registers in real time, as it were, to try and feed back some data to people during the launch event. And we were just completely overwhelmed with requests. You know, we had our fantastic team of volunteers in the background working away, but we just had so many requests, we couldn't get through them all. And we, in fact, still, we have a list of people who've been in touch whose ancestors we are working on tracing. And we'll keep doing that until we've got through that list. So it's been really fantastic to get that kind of public response. That is amazing. It is so rewarding. It is what history is all about. You get to reinforce, I was going to say reinterpret or rewrite these histories, but really it's about reinforcing the history that's already there and to making sure that there really isn't much purchase for those critics who try to, you could say, whitewash history, couldn't you, Gavin? Now, tell us. Where can we all go to find these details, to find more about the project? So at the moment, the best place to go is www.punjabww1.com. That's P-U-N-J-A-B. And at the moment, we have three districts up there and ready for people to query Ludhiana, Jalunder and Sialkot. And behind that, there's another 25 districts worth of material to come. And we are busy working away, fundraising, twisting arms to try to get some funds and support to make the rest of these records available in the same way. That is amazing. We will put a direct link to that in the description for this episode. So go down, click on it. And if you're a multimillionaire out there listening to this, then go ahead and donate as much as you fancy to Gavin and his amazing team of volunteers. Gavin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, James. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. What are Tudor men like their women to look like? They should have broad shoulders, fleshy arms, fleshy legs and broad hips. What did 17th century Londoners think of coffee? A syrup of soot and the essence of old shoes. And what did executioners wear? A lot of these guys, they were clothes horses because it's a big public spectacle. All the eyes are on you. I'm Professor Susanna Lipscomb, and in my podcast, Not Just the Tudors, we talk about everything from monasteries to the Medici, sex to spying, wardrobes to witch trials. Not, in other words, just the Tudors, but most definitely also the Tudors. Subscribe from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Sipoy Gurmukh Singh Regiment 3rd Sappers and Miners, Rajgarh Village, Luthiana, wounded in leg during war. Jamadar Harman Singh, Regiment Sappers and Miners, Sidwankhut Village, Luthiana, died at Jhelum. Next, I spoke to Irfan about the family history he's discovered in these documents. Hi Irfan, welcome to the History Hit Warfare podcast. How are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you. And yourself? Yes, I am good, thanks. All the better for having you on the podcast to talk to us a little bit about your family history. Now, I was talking to Gavin Rand, who's been working with the UK Punjab Heritage Association to unearth this amazing cachet of 320,000 files on Punjab soldiers from the First World War. And you don't just have one great-grandfather, but you have two great-grandfathers within this data set. So tell us, when did you first find out that this was going to be released? So a few months back, we came across this fantastic treasure of records that Amandeep Madruf, the chair of the UK Punjab Heritage Association, discovered lying in Lahore Museum in Pakistan, which he had been aware of for a few years. But now, more recently, he's managed to digitalize, as you say, 320,000 records of these Punjab soldiers. So it's a wealth of information, a treasure for us, really. And where I connect with it, I descend from Dulmial village in Punjab, which is in present-day Pakistan. And it has the great honor of contributing 460 soldiers in World War I. There were only about 800 males, including boys and elderly in the village. So absolutely or everybody who was fit and well joined the war effort at that time. So Amandeep kindly shared the records for our village, which listed 460 men 
in World War One, and in those were two of my great grandfathers. One was Captain Ghulam Mohammed, who I'm still researching about and finding more information about, and the second one, Subadar Mohammed Khan. So it was just wonderful to get this extra information. And the records we had for Dulmial are very accurate. They were typed up. So in that we had the soldier's name, their father, their rank and regiment, and what happened to them as well in some cases. And it was all there typed in black and white in digitalized format. So it, like I said before, it's just a treasure for us really. Well, you've got to tell us, what happened then? What happened to Captain Mohammed and Mohammed Khan? Do we know where they served in terms of the First World War? What theatres they were involved in? So with Subadar Mohammed Khan, it was listed that he was the son of my great-great-grandfather, Heather Awan Malik. And I found out that he was with the 33rd Punjab Regiment. And then that gave us more information and digging in and finding from a few different historians as well. I found out that he joined the British Indian Army in March 1891, retiring at the end of World War I in 1918. And he'd received the Indian General Service Medal, also took part in the Tushi campaign in northwest frontier India, had one clasp received for Punjab frontier in 1897, 98, and I found out he had qualifications in musketry and also transport duties. And he was fortunate enough to be selected to attend King George V's coronation in London in 1911 and also the Delhi Durbar as well. So having this initial information from those records opened up a wealth of other information about him so we could piece together more information. I think he was slightly older at the time of the First World War and I presume he didn't travel abroad. You know, he was based in undivided India at that time. Wow, so the unleashing of these records really was that key that opened the door to a wealth of information to you and your family to find out about your own ancestry. Did you know much about this beforehand? Only what had been passed down the generations really from my father and grandfather and their memories. But also with the records, it gave us very accurate information of the other 460, and some of those would have been my great uncles as well. And we found out from them that the majority of them had served in the Punjab regiments. And so many people from the same village served in the same Punjab regiment in great numbers. And also the cavalry as well. And we found out a few had been with the Camel Corps, Labour Corps, and Sappers and Miners as well. So not only for myself, but all the descendants of Dulmial village in Punjab, who are now scattered across the world, now have this accurate resource that they can trace their ancestors and forefathers in. We did have some records in Urdu based in the village as well, and we have compared those records to the ones at Lahore Museum, and they both tally quite well. So one records were in Urdu based in the village, and the ones at Lahore Museum were typed in beautiful English. Oh, wow. So I didn't realise that they were recruited so tightly based on village and region, almost tantamount or equivalent to a PALS battalion when you're recruited from Britain. I suppose this makes sense. And so, well, the attrition rates of the First World War are dire, of course. So do we know if there were cases of entire villages, the male population of those villages being wiped out during that period? 
there were, as you know, a lot of different villages involved. And fortunately, from Dulmial, out of the 460, nine men gave up their lives. And from these records discovered in Lahore, and also what's already available online with the Commonwealth War Graves Commission, we have a list of those members and where they're remembered as well around, and they were spread out all around the world, you know, in East Africa, Iran, some remembered at uh, Delhi Memorial in India Gate two in Basra, and one gentleman, Lance Naik Ismail Khan, he passed away at the Battle of Luz and is remembered at the Neuve Chapelle Memorial. So again, we tallied up these records of the people who had died, and they were very accurate. So overall, in terms of death rates, Dulmial was quite lucky, but I'm sure there were other villages in Punjab that were less fortunate, depending on where they served. Of course, yeah, absolutely, depending on where you're based. And if you're sending over 50% of your male population off to fight in the Great War, then the chances are that, uh, yeah, some of these villages, I'm sure, suffered immensely as a result. And as people are able to analyse these files, and as even more are released over the next few months and years, I think that it's these sort of stories that we'll start to find more about. But tell us a little about your other great-grandfather as well, Captain Mohammed. Do we know much about him yet or are you still investigating? So with Captain Ghulam Mohammed, we are still investigating. The problems I found with some of the records is the names. For example, Ghulam and Mohammed is a very, very common name. So there were about eight or nine Ghulam Mohammeds in our list of 460. So it's going to take me a little bit of time to tease out which one is my great grandfather to get more information about him. So I was a little bit more successful with Subedar Mohammed Khan than Captain Ghulam. It is remarkable stuff. And do you feel like this has brought you closer to your family history? Is this a bit of a missing link that's been there about that distinguished military service that you've not been able to find out much about? Because, of course, these records have been available for a lot of the families of British veterans that served during the First World War. I've typed through myself and looked at what my great granddads did during the period. Is this a, a real added jewel in your family history? Absolutely. So this is the missing part of the jigsaw. And overall, not many people know that Undivided India gave 1.5 million soldiers in World War One, and a great bulk of those were from Punjab. So many residents in the UK who have descended from Punjab have links. But now this is the missing part of the jigsaw. We can go online, search and find out, draw down to the exact village, because many people remember which village they're from, and then you can search in there, and it will just give us a huge treasure of information, really, and remember those sacrifices, and see how it links into British history as well. And it was only in the last, you know, seven, eight years that I discovered more and could piece the history of undivided India and Britain that the villages in Punjab and the villages in England had very similar backgrounds at that time. There were very young men that contributed and were sent wherever they were required. So we have a lot of common shared history that we can build on. And, you know, it certainly makes me feel more British. You know, I was born and bred in Nottingham in the 70s. And, you know, we had an identity crisis. We didn't know how at that age, how we fitted in. And in history lessons, when we looked at TV and radio and publications, we never saw a brown soldier or a black soldier. I used to walk past remembrance parades and 
felt that I wasn't included in that because I had nothing in common with that. But now, you know, each year we raise for British Legion Poppy Appeal and attend remembrance functions because we were there too. And we have this strong shared history that we want to celebrate. And so I feel more British. That is the power of this historical research. And haven't the team done well? And what a time to bring this out. It was brought out in time for Armistice Day. And I just hope so many more people are able to have the same experience that you've had and to find those aspects of the family history that they can then hand down to the next generations as well and to keep this history alive. Irfan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.